All right, guys, welcome back to, yes, Numbers 20, 19 and 20, Lesson 84. Congratulations, you've made it through a whole week of the book of Numbers. We've been talking about scouts and giving bad reports, and then we've been talking about the Israelites and complaining, and oh, complaining some more, and then, uh, just in case, they complained some more. And now here we are in Numbers 19 through 20, seven days you and I have dug in. Did you like that, guys? We've dug in deep with the Word of God, not plowing, but digging. Oh, I was wondering last night, who's Doug? <laughs> Nobody's Doug. Just we're going through the word of God. And I, you know, I, just even yesterday talking about um, Aaron's rod, I don't, I don't think if we were doing Revive School, I probably would have never seen the correlation of the value and importance of Aaron's rod in the tent of the testimony, in, inside the Holy of the Holies. Like there's just so much that when you slow down, even if we did it again today, if we started teaching on it again, we'd probably learn more. And we did it again, we'd probably learn more. And that's the whole goal of Revive School is for us to experience the presence of God in a new and refreshing way that will impact literally the entire community. I am praying, you guys, that this, the word of God, would spread wherever you live. Don't just keep it in your head. Don't just keep it in your heart. You gotta walk this thing out. You gotta live this thing out. And in Numbers 19, again, what you're having is, is that you have crazy stories that you think, oh, what do they mean? We're talking about the the purification rituals of red heifers. And if you kill a red heifer and how it brings about with the ashes, it brings about purification with the water and unclean and and clean. And then it talks about how multiple times if you touch a corpse, how you can use these ashes to bring about cleanliness. And then it talks about in verses 14 through 22, it talks about if you die in the tent or if somebody dies in the tent, you're in open field. All of this is it goes back to rich, clean, unclean. But like what you have to understand is that the Israelites needed structure on how to walk this thing out. That's where we're going with. All of the book of Numbers is teaching people constantly, how do I exercise what God is telling me to do to walk this thing out? And do this with your eyes on the Lord. You have the the tassels. You have the manna. You have the rod. All his reminders that God is with you. And then finally, when you get to Numbers 20, it's like in Numbers, really, It's the chapter of all chapters. This is like the humdinger of numbers. Because look at in verse 1, this is absolutely crazy. In fact, just so you know, this is more than likely, as most commentators would say, this is the end of the wilderness journey. This is the 40th year. This is the end of the end. Think about this. Here it is in verse 1. The entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. We've talked about Kadesh, right? And what do you know? Look who passed away. Miriam, she died and was buried in Kadesh. Miriam is the famous sister who got, remember, Pharaoh's daughter. Do you understand this? Remember this? The whole, uh, the, the basket in the Nile. She got Moses to be fed by the mom, to get paid by the mom. Miriam's hand was on Moses' life all throughout his life. She saved his life. Strangely enough, she arranged the Moses to be taken care of. She even led, I love this, in Exodus uh, 15, she led the praises of women at the Red Sea. She was the one leading the singing. She even endured the wilderness trials. The only issue that we really saw in Miriam's life was they had a brother-sister fight. <laughs> in Numbers 12, eh, who told you you could do this, Moses? Oh, shut up, Miriam. You know, I mean, like, I don't think they talk like that in Hebrew. <laughs> that was my Hebrew. Did you like that one, Rich? <laughs> but it was just a brother-sister fight, questioning the, the, the who's in charge deal. And so overall, the Lord's hand was so clear on Miriam. And Miriam died in the very first verse. And, and in verse 2, you ready for this, you guys? 
repeat, there was no water for the community. So they assembled against Moses and Aaron. Like I would just say, heck with them. I'd pull the Aaron, the Aaron rod out of the Holy of Holies and I'd start beating them on the head with it. And so they assembled against Moses and Aaron and the people quarreled with Moses and they said, if, if only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. And he's like, give me a break. You guys are exhausting. In verse four, it says, why have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? I mean, is this not what we hear over and over? It's the old problem. We're revisiting the old problem. The old problem would be the lack of trust, the lack of remembering all that God has done in their life. Just take a pick. Oh, by the way, the 10 plagues, we spared you. <laughs> oh yeah, remember the Red Sea? Oh yeah, we, we made you walk. We allowed you to walk through this. Oh, you remember the, the manna? Oh yeah, I, I provided. You remember the quail? You really, you really wanted the quail? <laughs> I provided all of this for you. And now you have constant issues and you're saying, Where, where's the water? Why have you brought us here? And in verse 5, Scripture says, Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? So now they're describing the place that they've been as evil. And they go back to this. It's not a place of, you know, they're picturing all of their favorite foods, the steaks, the ribs, everything that are absolutely amazing. That, that's what they're saying. But there's our grain, figs, and vines and pomegranates. That's, that's all they've known, but that's what they want. And by the way, Moses, Aaron, there's no water to drink. I think the, it's a heart issue and their heart was still in Egypt. Their heart was not for the Lord. It's this lip service stuff when people say, I come to know the Lord. But the reality is they're still living in the world. Kevin, if you would, would you go to 1 John 2 verse 15? This is the issue that we see with the Israelites. Their heart, I'm going to say this over and over again. Their heart is in the world. Their heart is still in, in Egypt. Verse 15, it just says, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world, a.k.a. Egypt. If anybody loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Verse 16, the scripture just says, because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh. That's, that's all they're longing for, the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's lifestyle. It's not from the Father, the pride, the pride in one's lifestyle. Do you not remember what we had in Egypt? But it's from the world. In verse 17, to wrap this up, it says, and the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does God's will remains forever. And so again, I feel like as I'm teaching, I'm just hitting repeat to you, but it's what it is in scripture. There's no way around it. You can't just say, oh, I'm not going to teach on this because I think we have to get one thing in mind. When you commit your heart to the Lord, you're committing your heart to the Lord, not to the world. You can't go back and forth and back and forth. And that's exactly what they constantly are doing. And as a result, they're just, their faith is like this wave, you guys. And in verse six, I love this. Moses and Aaron then went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell down with their faces to the ground. I don't, I don't get this, you guys. Like in my mind, I'm like, please bring fire and just take care of them all. But Moses and Aaron don't exemplify that. They don't exemplify anger. They're slow to anger. They want to see a change and they fell down with their faces to the ground and again, the glory of the Lord appeared to them because God is going to give them, one commentator says, a divine solution. Wearsby says, I'm going to reveal the game plan. And he says this in verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses. He says, Moses, here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to take your staff. I want to take the staff and assemble the community. Get everybody together. You and your brother Aaron are to speak, okay? There's the word. Speak to the rock while they watch and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. And so what I love is, is look, look how this, this rod is just sitting here. 
in my mind, you don't see, um, you know, this rod. You don't see this rod like hitting the rock. He just says, I want you to speak to the rock. Do you see how peaceful this description is? I just want you to speak to the rock and then it's going to yield its water. You're going to bring out water for them and you're going to provide drink for the community and their livestock. Watch as it says in verse 9. So Moses, he took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. And then it says in verse 10, Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock. (laughs) And there goes Moses' moment. This is the moment. Have we all had it? We've all had it. And if not, your time is probably coming. And I hope it doesn't, but it probably will. Moses lost. uh, He flipped his lid. He's had it. He's tired of the Israelites wandering around. He's tired of them complaining. And I think he screamed. Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Like, like, like it's Moses's job. Like it's, he's the one who has the power. Must we bring out the water of this rock? In verse 11, it says this. Then Moses raised his hand and then he struck the rock twice with the staff so that a great amount of water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. So without going down the road, what, what happened? What's the big deal? What did Lord tell him to do? He told him to speak, not strike the rock. The Lord told him to speak. It wasn't up for Moses to do the work. Let let the Lord do the work. I think this is an absolutely, it's a great example of, I think, how we action, uh, how we function sometimes in in life. It's an impulsive sin. It's just just like that. Out of the the heart came what he was really thinking. (laughs) And this impulsive sin allowed him to cause an issue that would prevent him from getting into the land. We'll talk a little bit about this, but I want to go to this whole rock thing. You know, first of all, we know that in Exodus 17, I mean, maybe he's a creature of habit. Exodus 17, verse 6. We saw the same scenario. You know that, guys, right? The Lord told Moses to do what? Watch, I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So, In the first scenario in Exodus 17, Moses had picked up the staff and he hit it. And it says, the scripture says, uh, then it hit him twice. He hit it twice, right? He hit this and water came out. So naturally in his instinct, maybe he fell back to the Exodus 17 model. I don't know. What do you think, Rich? Well, I was thinking like, I mean, it would, if he just was so frustrated, he had the staff in his hand. And even though the Lord told him to speak to it, he just lost control and he, he made a mistake and he struck the rock with his staff instead of speaking to the rock. All he had to do was speak. You know, sometimes I think in anger, I, I, I really struggled with anger for college days and, uh, and high school days. That was just kind of one of those things. And so I, that's why I took martial arts. Why? Because my natural reaction was some form of anger outlet with your hand. That's usually what happens with anger. All right, let's go to this whole rock image, can we? I think the rock is essential to all of this story in Numbers 20. I think the rock is essential in all of the book of Numbers. Kevin, if you would, would you go to Deuteronomy 32.4? You know, the rock could symbolize uh, the Lord, okay? I'm not, I don't want to go to extreme, but I just want to paint a picture of God as the rock. The rock, his work is perfect. His, all his ways are entirely just, okay? So that, that's a cool picture, right? His work is perfect as a rock. His, all his ways are entirely just. Go to verse 15, if you would. 32 verse 15. Again, you have this imagery of uh, the rock. He abandoned the God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. Strangely enough, in verse 18, it continues to build on this image. You ignored the rock who gave you birth. You forgot the God who gave birth to you. So God has this 
this presence, no longer just of a cloud, but now as, as a rock. And so I think there's some truth to this. Hey, if you, if you just speak to the rock, I'm going to release the water. If you hit the rock, I'm going to release the water. And so there's this image of this presence of God. In fact, Kevin, can you go to Psalm 18, verse 2? Again, I want to paint this picture of a rock. Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my mountain, where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So you even have this picture of this rock tied to this image of of salvation. If you would go to Psalm 31, verse 3. Over and over again, the psalmists are pointing out, for you are my rock and my fortress. You lead and you guide me because of your name. Psalm 42, verse 9. Again, one more imagery in the Psalms. Psalm 42, verse 9, it just says this. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? And so it's like what it says. This rock is my foundation. This rock is everything that I have and that I, and that I need. Can you go to Psalm 106, verse 32? It's a cool picture. Says this, they angered the Lord, right, at the waters of Meribah, and, and Moses suffered because of them. Watch in verse 33. For they embittered his spirit, and he spoke rashly with his lips. Whoops. Go back to verse 32, if you don't mind, for a second. Moses suffered because of his anger some serious problems. And he, ra- he, he, he lashed out on them. He called them the rebels, and then he struck the rock. And how many times did he do it? Twice. All he was supposed to do is speak. All right, Kevin, if you would, would you go to Hebrews 9, 26 through 28? You know, Scripture just says this. Watch this parallel between Christ and, and the rock. I think this is awesome. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared how many times, guys? One time. He's appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself, verse 27. And just as it's appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, watch in verse 28. So also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus ultimately is our rock. We know this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. This has kind of been our thread and our theme all throughout the book of Numbers. But watch this. As they're going through the wilderness, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. It's this rock that produces, yes, living water. This rock that produces a spiritual drink. John 7, verse 37. John 7, verse 37, I have this awesome picture in my mind. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anybody is thirsty, he should come to me and drink, in verse 38, the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. This is the same parallel of of this spiritual water that will never run dry. And then in verse 39, he said this about the spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit. For the Spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So if you come to me, I will give you water that will never run out. I will give you the Holy Spirit that will never, ever leave you. And it comes from Jesus being the rock. 
Now it says in verse 12, there's a, a, a painful discipline, as Warren Wearsby says, that's coming because Moses didn't speak to it, he hid it. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, he says to both of them. So we know that Aaron, somewhere in there, probably could have stopped them. Hey, Moses, stop. What are you doing? But because you did not trust me to show my holiness in the sight of the Israelites. You didn't actually believe, Moses, that I could just let the water come out of the rock because you didn't trust me so that I could show you my holiness. I'm not going to bring this assembly into the land I've given them. Wait, 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 wait. What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> the leader of Israel is now being told, you're not going in. Watch in verse 13. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord. We talked about this in Exodus 17. And he showed his holiness to them. Man, this is crazy. Moses says in verse 14, he begins to communicate a message. But I, wanna, I don't want us to miss something here. The first time, remember the first time when he hit the rock, right? Twice. Had, the name is this, Masa and Meribah, which means testing and quarreling. The second time, though, we're talking about Meribah. There's no Masa and Meribah. It's just Meribah, which is just talking about quarreling. And I love this image. There's no more testing. It's just that's all they're doing is they're fighting. They're arguing. No longer is there a time of testing with the Lord. All because Moses lost his cool. That's really what it came down to. He let the issue of sin and, dare I say, the pressure of two million people on his shoulders. And you know, part of me just wants to say, man, I don't know how this guy even lasted this long. But he, he still did. And what, what Nelson says is, hey, Moses, you're going to join the death march as well. No holy land for you. And so that's when Moses, in verse 14, he sent messengers from Kadosh to the king of Edom. So now we're going to start uh, uh, switching gears. Moses just received, received his, his discipline. And now all of a sudden he's going to try to, to become diplomatic and start approaching different people to start moving towards that direction. So he sent messengers and he said to the king of Edom, this is what your brother Israel says. I think that's interesting because he's tying Edom to Esau and Israel. Hey, we're, we're family, by the way, guys. We're family. You know all the hardships that have, that have overtaken us. And our fathers went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt many years. And so Moses begins to play the, the lobbyist role in Washington, D.C. He's lobbying for diplomacy. But the Egyptians, they treated us and our fathers badly. Now, you know, maybe you've heard about this. And when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now look. Here we are in Kaddish, a city on the border of, of your territory. We're, we're just, we're right here. In verse 17, please let us travel through your land. We're not going to travel through any field or vineyard. There's not going to be any random people, you know, <laughs> drinking any well water. We're going to stay the course on the king's highway and we won't turn to the right or the left until we've traveled through your territory. You know what this is like? This is like all of a sudden, <laughs> I, I love this image. This is like the Super Bowl saying, you know, we're going to come to Elkhart, Indiana. You're going to what? You know, we're going to come and host a party here, but we're not going to, we're not going to damage anything. There's not going to be no riots. There's not going to be any crazy parties. Like, but we're going to invade your space, but it'll be fine. Nothing's going to happen. If I'm the king of Edom, yeah, right, beat it. No way, right? And that's unfortunately exactly what he says. Edom answered in verse 18, you must not travel through our land and or we will come out and confront you with the sword. We will go on the main road, the Israelites will them. In other words, come on. And if, we, if our herds drink your water, we're going to pay its price. There's going to be no problem. Only let us travel through on foot. Yet Edom, he didn't budge. He insisted. He said, you must not travel through. And they came out to confront them with a large force of heavily armed people. Moses didn't like it. The Israelites didn't like it. And guess what? King of Edom didn't like it either. 
says this in verse 21, Edom refused to allow Israel to travel through their territory and Israel turned away from them. And then in verse 22, after they set out from Kadesh, the entire Israelite community came to Mount Hor. And so their journey just really, they begin to continue uh, on this journey in the wilderness. And then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, at the border of the land of Edom, in verse 24, Aaron, Aaron's going to be, will be gathered to his people. Now remember, who died in the very first verse? Miriam. In the middle of the chapter, Aaron, or Moses, decides to not listen and not speak to the rock, but he decides to rebel. It just kind of feels like everything's falling apart. Aaron will be gathered. Like if this is a, this is a bad, bad ending to a movie right now. Aaron will be gathered as people. He will not enter the land I've given the Israelites. Why? Because you both rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Because you guys decided to, to strike the rock. That, that's the problem. And now your brother was going to receive the consequences as well. In verse 25, take Aaron and his son Eleazar. I want you to bring them up to Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments. In other words, take off the jacket. Take off the ephod. Take off everything. Put them on his son Eleazar. And Aaron will be gathered to his people and die there. Wait, what? If I'm Moses, my sister just died. I'm actually dealing with the loss of one of my best friends. Israelites are breathing down my back and my neck, and they're saying they want drinks. They want all of this stuff. I've lost it. Now, God, you've just told me I can't get into the land. And oh, by the way, my brother's going to die. Man, if I'm Moses, I'm probably a mess. And oh, by the way, now your nephew, he's going to be the priest, which, okay, fine, but your brother's done. As soon as you take off the garments, he's going to die. Can you imagine this? Like, I don't know the time lapse between this or the time stamp between this. But all I know is that as soon as this is done, Eleazar becomes the new person. And so it just says, Moses, uh, Moses in verse 27, he did as the Lord commanded, and they climbed Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. Can you, can you imagine just climbing? It makes me feel like Abraham, doesn't it? A little bit. Abraham and, and Isaac, and I'm going to sacrifice my son. I know that as I get here, I'm supposed to kill my son because God asked me to do this. I know that if I bring my brother here, I bring my nephew here, I know my brother's going to die. Like, I can't think of anything really positive about this story right now. Except, yeah, there's a succession plan. Yeah, there's going to be a transition. And yeah, we're going from the old generation to the new generation. It just feels like to me, and I always remember Robert Coleman uh, you know, a former mentor of mine, he used to always say the older people had not passed the generational baton soon enough. It was like the leadership has not passed it down until they're too old and it's too late. And I always wonder sometimes what, what would have happened if, if they raised up, if they raised up Eliezer earlier and like it wouldn't have ended on such a tragedy. I don't know. There, there's just something here that just, it doesn't settle with me. So they got to experience death. It says in verse 28, after Moses removed Aaron's garments, put them on his son Eleazar, Aaron died on the top of the mountain. And then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Now, I'm, I'm a practical kind of guy. Like, it doesn't say they brought his body down. Well, Eleazar couldn't because he's now him. the high, high priest. priest. And we even know with his father he couldn't because he has a calling and he has an anointing and he's got to get to his task. And I know somebody took care of him, but in verse 29, it just says, when the whole community saw that Aaron had passed away, look how long it says that the entire house of Israel mourned for him for 30 days. And John uh, Wesley, he used to say this, and I think this helps me put a, a positive spin on all this. 
is that God buries his workmen, but his work always goes on. And so that just means that we are vessels. We are tools to be used by the Lord in this season, in this period of time, to get the work done so that he gets the glory. And all of a sudden, now we have a young man named Eleazar. I want to speak to Eleazar just a little bit. You know, but before I do, I want to go back to Moses just for a second. You know how many times Moses told the Israelites, like, we're going to the land? You know how many times he told his people, trust the Lord, believe in the Lord? In one, one instance, Moses messes up. You guys think that's legit? You think that's fair? I know it's not our place, but I I just want to ask the question. Here you have the great leader of all time, and he messes up one time, and then he doesn't go in. I don't know. I mean... In verse 12, my version says, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. Like, it's okay to get mad, but the problem was you didn't honor me as holy Mm. and do what I asked you to do because I wanted to make myself known as holy in front of these people again, and you messed that up. Now, I mean, just because it was a a one-time deal, is that fair? I, mean, I don't know. Who am I to say that that's not fair, right? Yeah, I mean, none of us are to say this. I do think this, that in Hebrews 11, Moses is clearly identified as a man of faith. He's not labeled as the guy who hit the rock. He's labeled over and over in Hebrews 11, uh, you know, in verse 23, by faith after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents. By faith in verse 24, when Moses had grown up. And it just continues on, and, and it just keeps talking by faith in verse 27, he left Egypt. And so, By faith in verse 28, he instituted the Passover. By faith in verse 29, that they crossed the Red Sea. And by, I just think over and over, his reputation is is he's a man who walked by faith. I don't want to be the guy that is remembered as the one-time mess-up guy. (laughs) I want to be the guy that's remembered as the guy who, who walked by faith with the Lord. Okay, so I have an interesting twist to all this at the end. This is how I want to end this. Okay, Warren Wearsby, in Galatians 3, 18, I love this perspective. Moses, Scripture says... He can't give us, he can't give us our inheritance. For if the inheritance is from the law, it is no longer from the promise. Okay? But God granted it to Abraham through the promise. So if this, inher- this inheritance can't come from the law. Okay? That, that would make sense, right? That, that's pretty obvious. And so if Moses is no longer the guy, I'm going to tell you this is a stretch. Okay? I'm already going to tell you this. What if it comes through Joshua? And Joshua serves, as Wearsby says, as a type of Christ to get us to that point of inheritance. Does that make sense? Moses couldn't cross over into the land, but Joshua could take him to the land. And so I think it's a cool picture of a type of the coming Messiah. Moses couldn't get us to inheritance, but guess who could? Joshua. Joshua could get the people of Israel into the land just like, uh, just like uh, Jesus can for his people. If you would, Kevin, go to Hebrews 4. I know it's a stretch, but I think I like this mentality, if that makes sense. Moses couldn't do it, but Joshua could. And obviously, we talked about, remember yesterday, we talked about Hosea and how it means the salvation and talks about the difference of the salvations. And so, not like salvation, but I don't have that definition. It's like salvation is to come, and then salvation is here. I I think, I don't want to make this too complicated. What I love is, is that Joshua serves as the transition piece. Moses couldn't get us. The law couldn't get us with inheritance, but Joshua could take them to the promised land. And I, I think it's a fair statement. Joshua always serves as a type of the coming Messiah. And that's really what it comes down to. Jesus is the only one that can get us into the promised land. 
He is our rock. He's the only one that can provide the water. He's the only one that can provide something that will never go away. And in Numbers 20, you have Miriam die, you have Aram die, you have Moses. He basically dies spiritually because he loses his promise. And so the only answer is, is that it always has to point to the Messiah. And we're going to get into that about how Joshua points to the Messiah over the course of time. All right, guys, that is Lesson 84. Thanks for plowing through this. There's a lot there. It's a lot of meat, a lot of substance. But my prayer is that the Lord would pull out any confusion and bring full clarity.